And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America, syndicated to your radio station and to your podcast devices. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from the now unlocked Vienna, Austria. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, David Clement, who's over there in Toronto. He's a little bit stuck in the snow, but he's got a smile on his face. It must be December. David, how goes it? Actually, I wish there was snow. We had a freak... uh warm spell where it was like 12 degrees so it's all gone which is unfortunate in the lead up to christmas but i guess it the one good thing is it gives me a little more lead time to put on the winter tires which i've procrastinated about um yeah things are good things are good looking forward to the holidays and the break um yeah other than that not much really going on well speaking of things that are going on i know that uh, the fingertips of our guest uh, for this program have been very busy in the last week. She's been published in many newspapers, news outlets across the United States, uh, having her work syndicated. We're, of course, speaking with our colleague, the U.S. Affairs Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center, Elizabeth Hicks. Liz, welcome to the program. Very happy to have you on for the hour. Yes, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you guys. So we wanted to talk about a couple of your articles. I mean, there's one that let's just go with the Christmas themed one real quick. I know we're going to get into student loans uh, and that whole thing. But since we're a little bit on uh, the Christmas tree hour and since we're in December, we're getting down towards the end of the month. People have already been celebrating. They've been opening their advent calendars if they're doing that. And if uh, I mean, if you're an American, you probably already bought your Christmas tree in October. Uh, but tell us about Christmas trees and uh, why there's actually a little bit of consumer regulation that can make it harder to get your hands on one of those beautiful furs. Absolutely. So I, like most consumers, I very much look forward to getting my Christmas tree for the year, putting it up, putting the ornaments on, getting ready for the holidays. If many of you like me have already bought in your Christmas tree, you probably realize that they're much more expensive this year and there's a lot less options on where you can buy from and what's available, especially with the fresh cut Christmas trees in particular. Um, one big issue happening right now that we're seeing is a ban on certain pesticides, a certain class, which is neonicotinoids commonly known as neonics. Um, this is a chemical class that is very similar to nicotine and is very effective in agriculture because it doesn't harm a lot of the wildlife or humans, but it does really good at targeting the pests that are threatening the livelihood of whatever crop it is. So for Christmas trees in particular, neonics are very important. Christmas trees, something I learned recently, it can take upwards of 15 years to grow one Christmas tree to market size, which is a very long time. And there's a lot of variables that can affect this and make it very challenging uh, for these Christmas trees to actually grow to the point where they're ready to be bought by consumers. Um, neonics are very helpful with making sure that these Christmas trees grow quickly and grow effectively and are ready for all of us to be able to go pick and put up in our homes. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of legislation, both statewide and even federally, trying to ban neonics. The claim is that it's hurting the bees. I'm actually a daughter of bee farmers and my in-laws are also bee farmers. And I can confidently tell you the bees are thriving. Neonics are not hurting the bees. Um, and all neonics are doing right now, the ban on them is hurting consumers' ability to access their Christmas trees and celebrate the holidays effectively. The pesticide now, stuff is so hard, I think, for people to understand, but it really is something that's so vital to like, not just our food, but to plants, to all of the different bushes and things that we that happen to go up and mm -hmm. do our landscaping. 
I mean, that's just something that I know most people haven't thought about, but it actually makes a lot of sense, David. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things because it's unseen, right? It has spillover effects that you see down the road. You go to get your Christmas tree and you're like, whoa, why is it more expensive? Or why do all the trees suck this year? Um, Liz, you were, you, you uh, had a bit of a exchange on Twitter with a I state did. legislator. Explain to our listeners um, what happened there, because I thought it was quite comical. Yeah, so my um, Neonics op-ed was published in the Detroit News, and a state rep from Michigan saw it. She um, did not agree with my arguments, which, you know, we can appreciate that. We love freedom of expression here. Um, but and it's very bizarre. She equated the fact that uh, we did not agree with, that I did not agree with the legislation being put forth in Michigan to ban Neonics with the fact that the two legislators who put out the um, legislation were not Christian. And then somehow we were anti other religions. It was the biggest reach. She must be great at yoga because she, you know, the reach is phenomenal here with her. Um, so it was very bizarre. Hopefully she's interested in having a conversation with me so we can actually talk about science-based policy in Michigan and why it's so important. Um, unfortunately, she has not responded to my request. So stay tuned on that. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's that's too bad. It seems to be common with uh, some of our uh, folks in state legislators on the left. Yeah. I once had a very fun, fun exchange with a state legislator in Florida who thought it was just so awful that I pointed out that paper bags were environment were not an environmentally conscious alternative to plastic. But um, one thing on that no. quick, David, I think that's yeah. one of the coolest things about social media is that essentially we're all put on the same playing field, right? If we show up and we have ideas, if we have thoughts about what's happening, particularly when it comes to public policy, no one is elevated because they happen to have, you know, some fancy title, you know, I guess apart from verified badge, uh, but from a fancy title or position or, you know, even number of followers, we can actually still have just as much weight and graft to our arguments as anyone else. And I think this is a good example. If you have someone who actually like has legit power making this like asinine argument about this topic, which is somewhat complex. And you have to wonder is like, you just imagine this, how many other people would have terrible uh, <laughs> opinions like this that they would put out on social media, but are perhaps stopped. Uh, but I think overall that, that uh, it still puts me in the bullish camp on social media and, uh, Definitely not breaking up these companies. That's a whole other thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. also just interesting to see the things that some of these politicians or legislators will actually say and stand behind and believe in. It makes me a bit concerned about, you know, some of the folks in power here. Um, and definitely, I think we have room to improve in a lot of areas, but it's just crazy to me how much silliness comes out of these Twitter feeds from these politicians. Yeah, speaking of that, they're sprouting up like Christmas trees. You can read uh, Liz's article. We'll put that in our show notes over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. By the way, if you are listening on the podcast version, please know if you're using a podcasting 2.0 compliant app, you got your wallet there. You can stream us some Satoshis if you're all in on it. If you want to learn more, go to NewPodcastApps.com. We are part of the revolution. Uh, there's only about 2,000 uh, podcasts that do this around the world, so we're we're at the very front, as we always are. Uh, but Liz, I wanted to, before we go out for the uh, first break, let's talk about student loans. Let's talk about this convoluted industry uh, racket, 
could we call it? Uh, you've written an article that was uh, showed up in many different papers around the country, uh, but also showed up in the Detroit Times right down the road from you. Uh, why are people so insistent that the federal government needs to bail out all these people who took on student loans? And what are some of the uh, particularly shady characters who are involved in this as well? Yeah, you know, it's a huge issue here in the U.S. As of right now, the student loan debt collectively is upwards of $1.7 trillion. So this is a very big issue for all of us here in the U.S. There's been lots of calls from folks to forgive a lot of the student loan debt, um, claiming that somehow it'll benefit the economy, which if we look at the research is just not true. Um, so as of right now, it, there's 43.2 million student borrowers. That's a pretty substantial number within the U.S. Each of them owe, on average, about $39,000. So I can appreciate the, you know, frustration around all of these loans. However, forgiving them does nothing at all to solve the root of the problem, which is actually the inflated costs of higher education. So it's very silly to me that so many are just asking for their loans to be forgiven when they made they signed contracts that they were going to pay this amount to get their education. And now they, you know, just want that forgiven by the taxpayers. When you look at the taxpayers, a lot of taxpayers did not go to college themselves. So really what student loan forgiveness is, is just a very well-funded taxpayer bailout for generally well-off educated people. And it just does not benefit the folks that many on the left who are calling for student loan forgiveness, it just won't benefit those people. It really is going to benefit the top 20% of earners Think of people who have a lot of student loans, like doctors, lawyers, those professions that need to get advanced degrees in order to actually pursue their career. They're also being compensated in these careers very well. So we're really just, again, paying for a well-funded bailout for educated folks. It just doesn't make sense economically. And it has, it's very anti-progressive in my opinion. Yeah. And it was so funny when AOC brought up that she has like $17,000 remaining on her student loans. And I was like, you make like 180K a year. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> Those Maybe are manageable pay payments. In one year. Maybe she didn't buy a Tesla and, you know, paid off her student loans first. Then like, that could have been better. It just, yeah, it, it seems, um, if, you, if I put on my progressive hat, it just seems in, incredibly uncomfortable to want to bail out the student loans of, wealthy individuals. It's not means tested at all. And uh, if we look at the population as well, because you, you mentioned that a little bit, Liz, if we look at uh, US population, the percentage of people with a bachelor degree, man, I think everybody suffers from the kind of filter bubble and confirmation bias of everyone around you. Uh, but the actual number is only about 35% mm -hmm. of the population, which is, is actually pretty crazy to think, you know, and, and that we would bail out this 35% and not even 35%, right? Because how many people are taking on loans? How many people pay those loans off by working? Uh, how many people were able to get scholarships? Um, I mean, athletes, I'm definitely not looking at you. But uh, this is definitely, I see it as just class warfare and just a way to, to get the, the government to pay for uh, the fancy people, mostly people who went to very expensive journalism schools and they're wondering why they got their degree and why they wasted all of their time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I find student loan forgiveness to be particularly shady. And another really shady side of it is um, there is college loan forgiveness programs already available through the federal government. There's programs to help doctors who work in rural areas. There's programs for those who work in the nonprofit or public sector. Um, and there's one that's becoming particularly 
alarming, which is the borrower to defense repayment loan forgiveness program, which operates off of the basis that your college defrauded you in some way, whether they made a claim that they didn't live up to or what have you, that somehow you weren't, you didn't get the full um, effects of your education that you thought you were going to get. But what's happening here is it's turned into this very nefarious uh, area. And what's happening is there are a lot of companies that have popped up online with information or offers to assist those looking for help with the loan forgiveness process. Obviously, there are a lot of folks, as we mentioned earlier, you know, about 43 million U.S. citizens have student loan debt right now. Um, and so there's a lot of people looking as to how can I alleviate this? How can I pay this off? How can I, you know, get move on from it? Um, and so although these companies are offering these services that maybe seem well-intentioned, their goals are pretty much everything but that. And so what they're doing is they are marketing specifically to students, to college students, to collect their data. They then take that data and sell it to trial attorneys as leads for potential lawsuit claims. The student does not know that their data is being sold to trial attorneys. And so this is also a big issue because we're seeing a lot more frivolous class action lawsuits pop up and being filed against colleges because of these predatory recruiting ads. And ultimately, it's opened up a lot of private educational institutions to potentially massive claims or losses here. So it's just another really shady side. Um, Biden has already made a lot of promises. Well, he made a lot of campaign promises to forgive student loan debt that he hasn't followed through on. I'm hoping he doesn't follow through on those. Um, but he has made claims that he will continue to do forgiveness through borrow to defense repayment. Um, and what's happening now, unfortunately, is you submit an application and they're doing a lot of just blanket forgiveness of applications. They're not looking at them individually um, and they're not assessing them to see who actually has a legitimate claim and who doesn't. So the taxpayers are yet again on the hook for a lot of money here to bail out folks who don't even have legitimate claims to have their loans forgiven. So it's just another really problematic area with college loan forgiveness. Yeah, apologies to all the trial lawyers out there, but they seem to be uh, basically public enemy number one for all consumer choice matters. Uh, we've uh, we've hit on them before, and definitely, you know, the kind of scourge and litigious part of our country is uh, not the proudest thing that we've got going on. Yeah. Uh, so, Liz, we're reaching the end of the uh, first segment here. Are you cool to stay on, and we'll uh, go through the news of the week? Absolutely, I'd love to. All right, great. We'll be back awesome. with Elizabeth Hicks here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned to that dial. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region and the Big Talker 106.7 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, if you were with us for the first uh, segment of the show, you know we have our colleague Elizabeth Hicks with us. Um, we were talking pesticide regs, student loan forgiveness. Now we're going to go through some of the hot topics of the day. And I have to lead off Yael with Nancy Pelosi, the free marketeer. I'm I not sure this. Yeah, absolutely wild. So um, the background on this for listeners is that there's a lot of speculation about Nancy Pelosi's wealth, um, her trading record, which regularly beats the market by uh, more than 10%. Um, so we're talking like hedge fund performance out of... Uh, Nancy Pelosi stock trades. And obviously, given that she's been 
uh, in power uh, for quite a long time. Um, she is on many of the committees and is involved in many of the decisions, regulatory and otherwise, that impact the market. Um, some people are sniffing around and they're wondering, hey, Nance, how'd you, uh, how'd you turn your $200,000 salary into $250 million? What happened here? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so there was... There's, and we talked last week, David, about the portfolio tracker on Twitter, which was this account that um, somehow disappeared, got disappeared uh, from the uh, yeah. from the Twitter sphere. And the article, uh, this is actually Associated Press, which is kind of cool to see. Pelosi defends stock trading by lawmakers and their spouses. <laughs> we are a free market economy. And uh, the only point that I made on that to add to it is like, look, if, if, if we're in a free market economy, I'm going to need you to repeal about a thousand bills and laws and taxes that are on the books. Yeah. That's how we get back to the free market economy. I'm sorry yeah. there, Nancy. You're going to have to go back through your career and just take the red pen out to almost everything you've passed. <laughs> just so, yeah, yeah so, just go back and do it. And you, she has the power. That's the, this is what I think amazes me at so many junctures with so many of these is they'll whine and complain about, it's like you are legit. One of the, you're one of the steps to the presidency, like you. <laughs> you have so much power in the system that we've developed as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. If there's a thing that you want on the floor for people to vote on, like you can do it. It's and your call. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Pull yeah, Liz, what's your, what's your take on, uh, on Nance's free marketeer? Uh, well, I think that she wants to keep Congress and those in Congress able to be operating within a free market, but the rest of us, unfortunately, get to live under the regulations with her red pen. So I think it's a very uh, unfortunate situation, to say the least. Um, like you guys said, if you look at her stock trading, I mean, it's clear as day why she wants to keep it available for Congress. It's just one of those things where, you know, those in power are getting all of the benefits and then the rest of us are just, you know, going to be picking for scraps. So I think it's really unfortunate and ridiculous. And I really do wish she would just repeal a lot of things she's done. If she's going to use the words free market economy, at least then, you know, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. Yeah, this is um, this is sort of you know the behavior that a lot of politicians have when they're called out on something is say, hey, well that's just the uh, that's the society that we have and that's the system that we've created. It's like, well, it's kind of the system that you've created. Um, you know, there are people who are advocating for or against particular items all of the time, uh, but you know, just to see really to track her wealth. And there have been some people who've done a very good job. I mean, Peter Schweitzer's book was very good. And he did mention Nancy Pelosi plenty in there. <laughs> but it, it really just boggles the mind how you have people who are legislators and you know their salaries are public record and they're able to quintuple and I don't even know how many times their wealth by just the connections they have, the information they have. That not, you know, I don't think that necessarily is problematic. But surely when you're trading on insider information, which again, you can't always prove, but if you know Nancy Pelosi says, we're going to crack down on X industry, and she's been shorting that stock, yeah, that, that says yeah. something about it right there. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a pro I, th I think I've, this is probably an area where you and I, Yael, disagree. I think I fall into the blind trust category. Like if you're, if you're writing the rules, it would probably be better that your money is in a blind trust so that you are not betting on the market, which is based on or built on the rules that you write. Um, so I think I generally speaking would be in favor of some limitation. I mean, I remember back in the day 
that was what Mitt Romney said, because people are like, well, I mean, you've been in the financial industry for 30 years, like, what are you going to do when you're president? What are you going to do with all your money? He's like, oh, I'll just put it in a blind trust and I won't touch it. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, it's a pretty commendable thing. So Yeah, but what the hell does that mean? Blind trust. What what uh, legal instrument is this? What what is how is this going to be shielded? So you got to set up another corporation that will be no, no, no. guarded I, by I, some I, committee that you can't so, see. <laughs> no, I think it means like you have a you essentially have like a money manager and you don't actively trade. So you do not like Oh, so you point. don't hit the button but you still tell your money manager, uh, "Hey buddy, yeah, uh, that, hey Brian." Certainly possible. By the way, yeah. we're we're coming down really hard on GoPro next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like February 2020, and it's like, yeah, short the airlines. <laughs> short so, the yeah, airlines. I guess, yeah, I guess I do disagree because I don't think that overall it should really matter. Um, I, I think the behavior should be transparent, and that's why having that information there to where we even know what stocks are being traded by members in Congress and people who are in the head of committees are great. Like, I'd love to see Bernie's portfolio, actually, if we can go into that. But that would be fun. Overall, if we were to say, hey, if you're running for you know high public office, you're not allowed to like trade on the market. Well, I would find that very problematic because I think there's just it, it's that is impinging upon your own choice and your own freedom as an investor, as a private citizen that I don't think should just get stopped at the Capitol House. Isn't that weird that I, I'm defending these guys? Yeah. yeah but it's know. something that's a bit tricky because we say, do we say that for every you know regulatory agency? Do we say that for every state regulatory agency? Do we say that for every bureaucrat? Okay, uh, because so he, people also have pension funds that are being contributed to, and yeah, they don't you know call the shots and where it goes, but you can still vote and send emails and, and tell you know the pension board that you'd rather have your money in uh, Facebook over Amazon or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So two things. First, Liz is going to have to break the tie here. <laughs> so we'll go to Liz and we'll see who she agrees with. And that will break the tie. And that will be the law of the land moving forward. Uh, and then I have a good follow-up question for you on this. On right? pressure. You know, I can see both sides here, but I think, I think if you're opting in, if you are agreeing to be in Congress, you are giving, you should give up some of your, I shouldn't say some of your freedoms. That's probably not the right way to phrase it, but you should like, there have to be checks and balances in place. Right. And so I think if you are the one writing the rules who you're kind of, you know, determining where industry goes and where the stock market goes and, you know, where money is going, then I don't know if you should be able to invest in other areas because you then are, it's already kind of shady in my opinion. So I think if you are going to be in Congress, you have to then give up your ability to invest in lieu of your ability to influence at a much larger scale. All right, I'll, do, I'll answer quick and then do, David can do his question. No, no, but, but do you, did you guys hear that? It's the walls closing in on Yael right no, now. No, not at all. Because uh, first off, what is a legislator? You know, what is someone who's elected to Congress? You know, we say, oh, well, they write bills. Well, actually, most of them don't write bills. Most of them go up there and they represent their communities. They're essentially, if we go to the Burke model, they are trustees or delegates for their particular district. So most of the time and most of their work, and they'll admit this and even AOC admits this, most of your time, you're just doing management and constituency services, right? You're making sure that you know, business X, it's in your district is getting this federal. I mean, you're, you're just a facilitator. You're not necessarily writing the rules or you're the guy in charge of X and Y. So I think 
you'd have to make a distinction between regulators, like if you're head of the FDA and then you're buying up a bunch of Pfizer stock, and then those who are just, you know, the one lone Congress person from Wyoming, uh, and you've kicked, you're kicked out of all the committees, you know, you're or like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or something like that. You're not on any committee. You really hold no sway. You can introduce bills all day long, but you're not in any of the committee hearings. You're definitely not getting any privileged information. So I don't think by virtue of you having been elected, because again, being elected doesn't mean that you're now in a position of prestige. It just means that temporarily you have been elected by your fellow citizens or residents to represent that area. That's all that yep. means. Uh, so two things. You're voting on the rules, though, right? So if we talk antitrust. You're voting, voting on the rules, but once it's in a bill, like everybody, that's public. Everyone can see that. Yeah, so I think the only way around this would be better conflict of interest disclosure and removing people from being able to vote if they have a vested interest or financial tie to the outcome. So I'll give you an example. In Toronto, when I spoke to city council and the transportation committee, it opened with, does anyone have a conflict of interest? And one of the councillors said, hey, my uncle owns a taxi license, so I have to recuse myself from today's meeting. I, would, I, I think that could be a way around it. Would Congress ever do that? Like, is Nancy Pelosi going to be like, I can't, I'm, I can't vote on the antitrust bill because I longed Apple two days ago? <laughs> like, she's probably not going to do that, but that would help. That would get around some of the issue. I think, I think conflict of interest rules uh, are important in reporting, or, but I think that's when you need the fourth estate as well. Because if we just say that there has to be these disclosures, that's another bureaucracy of people that are going to have to be managed and another group of people that could be easily captured. So I don't think that's where we're going to find the answer. And again, if it's that complicated to where you can't have any sort of conflict of interest, you can't own this stock, you can't have any you know, pension fund or whatever, you're going to create so many convoluted levels that there's no way that you or me are going to be able to even go through these things. Yeah, and also right. how complex the country is. And particularly, you know, industries that are uh, regional, you know, you have in California sure. particular things and, you know, related to timber cutting or something like this. Basically, anybody who's anybody is going to have some kind of tie to X or Y industry. Think of like the seafood industry in Maine or like the hog farmers in North Carolina. I mean, yeah. everybody's got a stake somewhere. So I just think it would be a bit too complex and complicated. And I don't know if we'd get better information. You you might be right that 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 like some sort of complex conflict of interest thing would be complicated and hard to apply, and I think that that's just another argument for not letting them actively trade. <laughs> <laughs> so no. I got I get I have very few wins on this show, so I'm gonna have to take the W on that one. No, you don't get to call it because <laughs> I think with with that that is such a complex topic, and to say. They're banned and what they do this blind trust thing. I mean, come on. Do you trust the blind trust idea? That is that is just window dressing. That's that's I, temporary. If you want to take a temporary win that's about as thin as a wafer cracker, you enjoy that all day long. I mean, I I trust it more than Nancy Pelosi turning seven million in career earnings from Congress into a quarter of a billion dollars. But that we know. If it's yeah, a blind trust deals, then then who knows? They, I think, if the people were smart and they were Mitt Romney's, they set up you know number corporations in Delaware, and we would never know any of that. So at least the way that we have it now, it's transparent, and I think the fourth estate, people calling them out, having media reports, that's vital because then but you they, can they, bring out the pitchforks yeah, and you can but, bring her down. 
yeah, but it's, I mean, the only person who's I, how many people have actually faced any type of serious consequence for this? Didn't didn't Purdue even get away? I mean, he lost re-election, and that was a talking point. Actions or elections have consequences. Maybe that's. Uh, I mean, he was seen as sort of a sleaze ball, yeah, and that just added to that, you know, portrayal. And the backstory for listeners there is Purdue was in the coronavirus meetings back when it was the coronavirus. Um, and after leaving one of the meetings, said everything is fine, this isn't going to be bad, but then called his guy and was like, short everything or sell everything. Richard Burr is um, the same, Senator of North Carolina, yeah. who's resigned, you know, had to basically say, I'm not running for re-election in disgrace. But again, yeah. that's all stuff that was public knowledge and we know, and they got called out, called out on it. I wrote an article against Burr because <laughs> that's a scumbag yeah. move. And he's gone. And he's, you know, had he gone up for re-election, yeah, that would have been question number one. So I think I mean, pe- the system the worked, sector, David. The system people in worked. The private sector go, some people in the private sector go to jail for that. Like they, yeah. they are prosecuted. Well, if they're, if they're members, exactly yeah, if they're members of a, you know, if you're on the board of a public company, but then you're dealing with SEC rules that are of a different nature. Not for Joe at, you know, Four Seasons Landscaping. You know that you're no, about to buy no, out no, another no. landscaping I mean, company. I mean, there are hedge funds that have been investigated for what they call black edge, which was just like how to weasel their way into insider information and betting on it. Well, we'll finish this up. Um, yeah. We have David and Liz <laughs> on the side of um, uh, Occupy Wall Street, ninety nine percent, and uh, yes. me, who's defending the free enterprise uh, system and uh, people being free to trade. <laughs> we'll be back with more though here on Consumer Choice Radio. three words what would define your campaign standing up to the billionaire class billionaires 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 billionaire. and welcome back to consumer choice radio we're broadcasting across north america consumerchoiceradio.com thank you guys for listening for subscribing for turning on the radio 10 a.m eastern up and down the eastern seaboard uh, we have our colleague elizabeth hicks now who's on the program David is here as well. We've had a little bit of a debate, a tete-a-tete, as you would say, uh, in the last segment. Uh, We have some other news we wanted to get to, a couple things that are very interesting. Liz, I believe, um, was just the, um, she just received her brand new, and I'll sound like I'm repeating myself from last week, (laughs) just received her brand new Quest 2 Oculus device. And I, I wanted to bring that up first to ask if you've messed around on it, Liz, and see what you think of it. Second, we have this story, and there's going to be an all-out attack on the metaverse. I don't doubt it. I think this is, this is the, the rise of the tech pessimists. Uh, the metaverse, this is the uh, article from technologyreview.com, probably a Bloomberg outlet as far as I know. The metaverse has a groping problem already. A woman was sexually harassed on Meta's VR social platform. She's not the first and won't be the last. Interesting. So I was very excited to get my Quest 2 Oculus in the mail yesterday. Um, I have not opened it up yet. My plan was to open it up this evening. I wasn't sure once I opened it how long I would be stuck in the metaverse. Thought I might get a little uh, lost in there for a while. So I thought I would wait until after the work hours to break that bad boy open. So very excited. I have used one before. My uh, little brother has one and they are cool. So I'm very excited to uh, break my very own out later today. Did not know 
know about um, the sexual harassment or sexual assaults happening in the metaverse. That is an unfortunate. Well, we're, we're being a bit light on words here. Um, yeah, it, it's essentially uh, she uh, this particular woman was on the Horizon Worlds app, which is um, Meta's own little world where people are able to walk around. And essentially, there's just some dude that went up to her bubble and just kept like trying to get close to her. But it's basically there's all these players in the game, and I'm willing to bet that this person just didn't know how the controls worked because I surely did not for the first hour. Uh, maybe he was malicious, but it's a video. It's a it's a metaverse thing. Come on, I I don't know. I think we're, this is another example of words not having meaning anymore, mm-hmm. and things just being rewritten to this kind of broader SJ narrative. You guys can figure out what that is, but. Strange, but on the uh, the Oculus front, uh, you know, a lot of complaints about it is that uh, people, especially those who wear glasses, you are not going to see very clearly and might have a headache after twenty minutes of use. My dad put these things on; he wears glasses. He was shooting them up in a frenzy for like a good forty-five minutes, so much so that he almost burnt our chicken. But he was lost in this world. He was reloading his gun. He was learning how to jump. He was communicating with the players on the headset. They were teaching him how to be able to jump off the top of the roof or to reload his weapon. And I was like, well, that's cool. If you can get somebody who's older, who's also into this. And obviously that's a shooting game. We're not even talking about the broader social aspect. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I don't think that he was uh, virtually molested as far as I know, but I'll have to ask. <laughs> I, I, I so love... oh, go ahead, David. I was, no, I was just going to say, I'd love to play... I haven't gotten into any of this, but I would love to play some first-person shooters. Bro, no, they got a golf game on there that you would absolutely mm-hmm. adore. Oh. That's what I was going to say. There's so many different things on the metaverse already that you can engage in. I saw yesterday they have a, I'm a big tennis fan, and you can play tennis under your Oculus, and you can you know do all sorts of different video games or I feel like I sound like a boomer right now, but there's so many different things you can do that are really cool on there that I would not have thought of for an application. One also I learned about recently that I thought was really cool is for doctors who are, you know, working through different trainings and trying to, you know, get uh, certified or whatever and whatever different surgeries, they can actually go on to into the VR of Oculus and practice different surgeries in VR and then get more comfortable doing it before they switch to actual real human patients. So I think there's a lot of really cool uh, real life applications. That's my Um, argument. That's actually my argument against net neutrality is that we second we start saying that you can't have paid prioritization, you know, have all these remote robot surgeries that people are doing in Japan and different parts of Europe. Imagine doctors cutting into you with a laser and then you hit a lag, you know? <laughs> so we need to have paid prioritization. Uh, but you're definitely right. And and look, it's it's still very new. You know, a lot of games are still somewhat glitchy, uh, but overall the environment works really well. There are these apps, like you can actually look at Instagram and Facebook while you're in the virtual reality. And you can set it up so that you're in your own living room or you're in space or whatever. Uh, I think this stuff is kind of cool. I'd love to see more podcasting and radio and audio broadcasting brought to it too. Because uh, there are YouTube videos that you can see on there and you can you know move the YouTube or thing around. Uh, there's a lot of innovation there. I think it's it's pretty exciting. Still very early though. I would say we're like at uh, essentially social media in like 2011. We've got like a couple big players, but they're still working out all the kinks. So who are your top, who are your MySpace top friends on the metaverse then? Yeah, my top <laughs> six. <2000, yeah. laughs> 
right now, not too um, many. I guess Liz is going to be my friend number five on there. So yeah, <laughs> almost there. Liz did, Liz, did you ever have MySpace? I did have MySpace. I also had Zanga. Did you guys ever use Zanga? That's oh, like absolutely pre MySpace. You had to like code everything HTML on there. It was cool, but then I, I did. MySpace. I had to. I had to go back and delete my Zanga, like permanently scrub it. Uh, you know, once I started writing and people could Google me. <laughs> Uh, so we had a very good circle, like in high school, we all had Zangas and it was like our little blog ring. Mm-hmm. When I go back and read it now, it's archived folks. So don't even go looking for it, but wow, I was a feisty little guy. <laughs> you know, there's the yeah. Facebook time hop thing where you can go and see like from years ago, I do that every morning and we'll just delete things I said when I was, it's nothing bad. So also don't go looking. It's nothing bad. It's already been deleted, <laughs> but it's just things that like, you know, like 13 year old girl just imagine you know what she's posting on facebook that heritage was- not hate <laughs> yeah. yeah so i do like that function i think it's very helpful okay yeah that, that's a uh, cool thing about social media though because I, I think i had my twitterversary the other day it was like 13 years or something mm-hmm. um which i do wow. not want to go back and look 13 years ago what i was tweeting about <sighs> Probably get well i mean even while. if the if the new ceo of twitter can't effectively scrub his own twitter before becoming ceo what hope do us poor or so i heard an have? alternative on that because it wasn't quotation marks and he was actually quoting someone else and he was he was like quoting it in an ironic way i mean yeah but does that apply to like all nine of them every single one <laughs> no i don't know every single that sounds like <laughs> what, that, that that just sounds like the lame, like whenever someone does something stupid on Twitter, it's like, oh, I was hacked. It's like, oh, okay. No, that was Joy Reid. She had all these homophobic tweets yeah, and things from years ago. It's like, oh, well, I was hacked. And they're like, over five years you were hacked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, just a mess. Just a mess. Um, what else? What else do we got on the docket here? What else, what else has been happening? So one thing that I think does affect besides consumers. Omicron. Yeah, besides that, please. Uh, one thing that does impact consumers, and again, I'm not seeing it where I live. David, I doubt you see it where you are. Liz, maybe if she goes into the city, she'll see it a bit more. But there is a lot happening when it comes to crime and when it comes to robberies of stores, particularly throughout California and San Francisco. Uh, it is getting so, it's getting so bad that the mayor of San Francisco came out, who normally is not doesn't really talk about this issue, to basically said that these criminals are ruining everyone's lives, and yep. essentially order needs to be restored. But obviously, the district attorney who, who's over there in Santa Clara County and around San Francisco, uh, basically these guys have all been elected on these you know slates of criminal justice reform that are not criminal justice reform. They're, they're sort of like a, a criminal justice put on the back burner in terms of what we're going to do. And instead it's social justice. Yeah. I don't know what you guys think about that. Did, did you guys see, I think it was in San Francisco. I'm not sure. I don't know what the law is, but it's uh, the, the crime of theft elevates at a certain dollar value. So if you're, if you're stealing things, I think over $900, then it's like more of a prosecute uh, a prosecutable offense, and so the guy listed all products in the store 
at that dollar value. And when you check out, there are coupons that that adjust the price. So if anyone steals anything from his store, they can be prosecuted at that next level of the law, uh, which I thought was like a pretty clever way of Smart. trying to get the police to enforce what they're yeah, supposed and, and to Yeah, and I do. think that is in San Francisco. Uh, it's not that 900. So it's essentially decriminalized. Yeah. You know, larceny is what you normally call it, but it's essentially decriminalized if the object of value is under $900, which is completely asinine. I mean, imagine all the great stuff you can get for under 900 bucks. There's plenty of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, is it like that in Detroit, Liz, or is Detroit? <laughs> no, I mean, like Detroit the, I mean, is. Yeah, assumptions. Yeah, Detroit is in its own category, I think. Um, San Francisco is interesting, though. I mean, it's. It's unfortunate to see the decline happen there. And I think, you know, LA is another one that we've seen a pretty rapid decline in. Um, in New York, New York City as well has had a lot of issues recently with crime and thefts and assaults and burglaries and all sorts of things. So, you know, I'm not sure where all of this crime is necessarily coming from. Is it a failure in, in criminal justice reform? Is it people are, you know, cooped up from, from the pandemic and are just, you know, the fire keg has been lit off or what? Like, I'm not sure what exactly has been happening, but it is very concerning to see a lot of these crime rates increase throughout the country, especially these major cities. San Francisco District Attorney Jesse Bowden, actually there's a vote to recall him June 7th, 2022. Uh, So if you happen to to be listening to this program and want to recall him for not uh, prosecuting the law, uh, there you go. There's your opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it's just one of the blind spots in the criminal justice movement where they blur the lines on actually stopping crime. So like someone having cannabis in their pocket is not a crime. Right. They've not hurt or harmed anybody. Um, the same thing with someone smoking cannabis. Um, that act has not hurt, hurt or harmed anybody. But if you're stealing, you are actually hurting and harming other people. And that's where you have to maybe take off the criminal justice reform cape and realize that like, that's supposed to be the role of law enforcement is to stop real crime, whether it be property or violent crime. Yeah, Michael Nutter, who used to be the Philadelphia mayor was on CNN the other day. And again, I don't watch it. I watch it on YouTube. Uh, but he was on and I remember when he was mayor, I was uh, working at Fox at the time. And, you know, you had the Occupy Philly stuff, you had, you know, a lot of other crime that was happening, and he cracked down. And he came out and said, Look, these white left wingers have got to understand that crime is crime. And that people who are mostly going to be hurt by this are minorities who are not in these situations where the police come to every beck and call. And we have to get over this idea that all police are just brutish monsters which I thought was interesting, um, obviously coming from him. And and there are a lot of different people who are seeing that more in the uh, social justice left as well, that it does not help to not prosecute crime. Well, no, it just incentivizes. We have that here every holiday season with the LCBO. I don't know if we'll see it this year, but where people will just go in with like a, a checked bag size piece of luggage to the liquor store and fill it up with as many bottles as they can and just walk out because they know that no one will stop them. And it's like, well, I mean, you're kind of ripping off taxpayers when you do that, especially if you're stealing the good stuff. 
Oh yeah, I keep mean, keep your hands off that wild turkey. Uh, yeah. So we're we had a great show uh, rounding it out. Uh, we've had our colleague Elizabeth Hicks on, who's the U.S. Affairs Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Liz, thank you for tolerating us here uh, over the the course of the uh, the hour. Did you learn anything new? Did you have a good time? It was a blast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Very cool. We'll link to her article. She's been very busy, as I mentioned, on her typing fingers being printed all across North America. David, it's a pleasure as always. Um, Always a pleasure, and it's always a pleasure to put one on the board for Team David this week. So um, thank you all for tuning in and and listening to that lively debate and uh, great victory. Plexiglass, plexiglass. It'll it'll break. It'll break. (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you next week.